Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Hey, we are so glad that you're here with us. We have a great group of people who are uh, in our Discovery class this morning. If you're new with our church, Discovery is kind of what we do for new members of our church or people who are desiring to be part of our fellowship. And it's an opportunity for them to have a class that they can go through for a couple of weeks and just discover more about who we are as a church, what we believe, the way that we operate in some of those different things, and then decide if this is the place that God wants them to be plugged into and fellowship with uh, in their spiritual faith and in their journey following Christ. So excited to have some people who are doing that this morning. One of the cool things uh, that we saw this morning is for the first time, because of our social distancing stuff that's going on, we actually had someone who was joining us from home, an online discovery class today. So that's pretty exciting. And if you are worshiping with us from home this morning, we want to welcome you in to Grace Fellowship Church. We're so glad that you're here with us. And for those who are in our building to worship and celebrate, we want to ask you to celebrate with us this morning and turn to Luke chapter 4 and worship God together through Scripture. This is an opportunity for us today to finish up a teaching series that we've been going through called Follow the Leader. And what this looks like for us, uh, over the past several weeks, we've been talking about the life rhythms of Jesus and how we can watch his life and better learn from and discover from him how to have a healthy rhythm in life. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm in charge of my rhythms, uh, I get way off and my life can easily slip into chaos. I can easily get to a place where I'm just like, you know what, for two or three days at a time, I'm just going to sit and watch TV and movies and basketball games. And it's just really easy for me to go. My life rhythm is just what's on Netflix today, you know? Uh, And then for others of us, maybe you're more driven and motivated than that. Uh, But we can often say, if I'm in charge of my life's rhythms, I can easily slip into some unhealthy patterns. But when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that the rhythms he kept in life, the way he did life, helped keep him in line and in balance, walking in step with God the Father. And because he would constantly walk in step with the Father, his life never seemed like it was out of order. It never seemed like it was too crazy or stressful or Jesus was never out of control. And so we want to learn and discover what it looks like to follow after Jesus walking in step with God the Father. And so we've talked through this series about three things so far, and today we're going to add a fourth component, and this is our final one that we're going to look at. But here's what we've talked about so far, that the first rhythm of Jesus's life that he constantly keeps is a rhythm of solitude, that Jesus understands what it looks like to get alone with God in personal worship. Jesus often would go to lonely places and pray. Jesus would get away from the crowds, from his disciples, and he would go to places where he could just spend time with God. Jesus would go up on the mountainside and spend the night in prayer. Jesus would go away into the wilderness 
where he would be alone with God. And so we see this rhythm of Jesus's life. We've talked about this throughout the series of being an up rhythm, that we need to have a rhythm that focuses us upward, that our vertical relationship with God is important, it's a priority. And so when we learn to look at the life of Jesus, we learn to see how he spent time in solitude, being focused upward on God. Then we see the second rhythm that Jesus kept, and that was a rhythm of community that Jesus knew the importance of what it meant to be drawn into community. This is an inward rhythm, right? And so we want to focus on drawing people into community with us. And again, we've said this throughout the series, not just so we can say, well, here's my little five group of people that I like hanging out with, and we're going to keep everybody else out. The idea of community is that we would constantly open our lives in authentic relationships so that we can say to people, you matter to God, and we want to invite everyone we can in to community. Everyone belongs in community. And so we want to make it a pattern of our lives like Jesus to invite people in. Come and be with me. Come and be near me. Come and see what God's doing in my life. These are the things Jesus said over and over and over again in his ministry. Then the the third thing that we talked about is that Jesus had a mission in his life. He followed the, the rhythm of mission. And so Jesus would spend time with God. He would spend time in community. and Then he would spend time going out. This is an outward rhythm. That we say we want to be on mission with God. We want to be people who have our eyes open to the needs of others. And we want to go out to meet those needs. We want to show them the glory of God. And we want to tell them how to live in obedience to God. And we want to help walk people into deep relationship with God. So this is an outgoing type of rhythm. And so today what we want to do is look at the fourth rhythm of Jesus's life. And if you're taking notes and filling in some blanks, here's the first one that you're going to find on your outline. If you're using our app and you're following along at home and you want to write some things down or fill in the blanks on our app, here's the first thing. Jesus had a rhythm of worship. He had a rhythm of worship. Now, when we think about this, this is a little different than solitude and the personal worship that Jesus had because Jesus had a rhythm of corporate worship. Jesus had a rhythm of going to the synagogue and being in worship with other believers. And so here's what we see in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. If you turned there with me earlier, here's what we're going to see today. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. That's to say, everyone had good things to say about him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled the scroll up, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so this is the first action that we see Jesus take after his baptism. He's led out into the wilderness for 40 days where he prays and spends time fasting. Then during that period of 40 days, Satan comes to him and tempts Jesus. There are three temptations that Jesus undergoes during this time of, of prayer and fasting in the wilderness. The first action we see when Jesus comes out of the wilderness and back into public life to start his public ministry is that it's the Sabbath, and he goes to the synagogue. And if you noticed in your Bible, if you want to circle or underline something, it says he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath as was his custom. 
This is what Jesus did. It was his custom to go to the Sabbath. He had been doing this since he was a child. In his young adult years, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now in his adulthood, he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath. As he begins his ministry, the first thing he does following his baptism and temptation in the wilderness is he comes back into Galilee and he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Why? Because it was his custom. Jesus did this. It was a natural rhythm of life to say what's important to me, being in the presence of the people of God and in the presence of God himself in a place where we're gonna gather corporately to worship our Father. This is of priority. This is important. This is a rhythm that keeps Jesus balanced. And as followers of Jesus, this should be a rhythm that we embrace and adapt is that we say, and I'm preaching to the, to the choir for everybody who's sitting here and watching from home, you're already in on this and going, yeah, we know, we get it. That's why we're here today. Rhythm, Sabbath, we wanna be a part of church. This is us being together and gathered. And that's so important because this is what we find Jesus doing. But here's what I love about this idea. If you're taking notes again, write this down. Corporate worship brings all of the life rhythms together in one place. When we think about corporate worship, it brings all of these rhythms, the up rhythm. We come into this place where we're focused on our relationship with God. And although the up rhythm of solitude, that rhythm that we've talked about is where we get alone with God, it's important even in this room to notice and understand that when we gather corporately, when you watch from home, when you're with your family and you're gathered in corporate worship, that there are still things that God says to you as an individual. That there are things even in this room where there's multiple people around that you're going, that was for me. That moment of worship where we sang that song, that lyric, that was for me today. God had something to say to me. When he read that scripture, that was for me. I can't tell you how many times people will say, man, Joel, that sermon today, you know, that was just hit right at home for me. And I look at them and go, well, I had you on my mind the entire time I was writing it. So I knew that this was just for you today. And that's a complete lie. I didn't, but that's how people feel sometimes. That they'll just go, man, did you like, were you thinking of me when you wrote that? Because I needed to hear that today. No. We all need to hear that. God just lands some things on people's hearts in very specific ways. And he does that in the corporate sense individually. So gathering together in corporate worship. Then we have the in component. We worship in community with other people. We gather here. In the New Testament, the gathering of the church was called the ecclesia, the called out ones. They would leave the community area to go to the synagogue or go to the place of worship. They would be called out. Somebody would literally go through town saying, it's time for the ecclesia, the gathering. The called out ones would come. And so everyone who would go to the gathering was part of the ecclesia. That was the in part of this. Then the out. As we worship, we're encouraged and we're empowered by God to go out and to love the world and to serve his, his people. And so this is part of why we gather in these corporate settings and this corporate senses that God says, I want you to come here and be encouraged and be empowered and be filled up to remind yourself of the mission that you're going to leave from this place and go back out into my world and you're going to be on mission with me. And so this is the importance of this rhythm of being with God. So here's the question that we want to look at for a few minutes this morning. Why does Sabbath exist in the first place? Why is this such an important part of life's rhythm? Why does Jesus put so much emphasis on this? And why do we still heavily emphasize it today? When you go back and you look at the people of God in the Old Testament, coming out of slavery in Egypt, where they had done nothing but work for hundreds of years under the power of Egypt. When God brought them out of slavery, one of the first things that he does is he says, I want to remind you 
of how the order of things goes. And so Moses starts telling the creation story. And he looks at God in the beginning and says, God created everything in six days. But on the seventh day, what does God do? He rests. Now, that doesn't mean God was like, oh my gosh, that was exhausting. Making the world and the universe and stars. Like, have you ever made a star? It is hard work. It is hard. God wasn't tired at the end of six days. He didn't like go take a nap because he was exhausted. My son, a couple of weeks ago on Sunday afternoon, we came home and he went, I'm so glad it's Sunday. I'm just going to take a nap just like God did on the Sabbath. Like, I don't think the theology is working right there, buddy. Let's talk about that one a little bit. And, uh, and so, but this wasn't God's idea of going, you know what? You've worked so hard all week long now, just do nothing. But he wants to remind his people on six days, God labored. And then on the seventh, he rested. And that Sabbath day's rest has endured until this day for God. God is in a place of continual rest. He's not laboring and striving to keep everything going. God is in his rest. And he's invited us into that same rest. And so what we see for the people of Israel is that when they come out into the desert, he goes, I want to remind you that rest is important. You've done nothing but work in slavery for hundreds of years. You need to take a day to rest. And so he implements Sabbath for his people. And so what we see in that, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, God gives the commandment to Moses. He's given all of these commandments, and the fourth one is about Sabbath. He says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, I want you to pay close attention to what he says here. When he talks about this, he says, honor the Sabbath day by keeping it what? Holy. What does that word mean? Set apart, different than all the others. He says, I want you to think of the Sabbath as being different from all the other days of the week. You labor and you strive and you toil and you work, but on the Sabbath, there needs to be a time where you come back, you step away from all your normal activity and you do something different that refocuses your heart, refocuses your mind, re-engages you on who God is and calls you into a place where you put yourself in front of God and you call out to him. So for the Israelites, when God established this, one of the things that he did was he gave them a very specific way of remembering it. He provided manna for them in the desert, food for them that would just fall out of the sky and be on the ground. And when they would wake up in the morning and come out, they would gather manna for themselves. And so God said, listen, you can do that every day of the week, but on Saturday or on, on the, the sixth of the day, is I want you to gather enough for two days because the next morning there won't be manna on the ground. You need to, to trust in me to provide for you. So get what you need during these early six days, but on the Sabbath day, don't do any work. Not this kind of labor. Trust me to provide for you. So all of the things that God is doing in them, he's teaching them to trust him, to listen for his voice, to know that he's going to provide for them. And so here's what I want you to see. Again, if you're taking notes, write this down, that when God implemented the Sabbath, he wanted this not to just be a day off, but to be a day of that Sabbath is not just a day to do nothing. Sabbath is a day of. And so some things that we might get from God, Sabbath is a day of refocusing on God. 
Sabbath is a day of receiving God's love. Sabbath is a day of worship. Sabbath is a day of being reminded of our need for God. Sabbath is a day of being shown where God is inviting us into his activity. So Sabbath is a day for us to look up and to go, where is God at work in this world and what's he inviting me into? But it's also a day to look out. And so Sabbath brings us into this place of God showing us where he wants to give us his grace, his mercy, his love, and then saying, now I want you to take from what you get here today and look out into the world and see where can you redistribute grace and mercy and love. And so everything that we receive from God in this place as we gather corporately to worship, we're intended to take and say, now I want to take what I've gotten from God and give it away. I want to give it back. And so when you see these things, this is where the problem enters into the picture, especially for Jesus. And we're going to spend some time this morning looking at the life of Jesus. But in order to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, we have to know, or the Israelites needed to know specifically, okay, if we're going to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy and not do any work, what does that mean? What constitutes as work? What can I do? What can't I do? And so you're given the original 10 commandments. And then there are 316 laws of Moses that if you read the rest of the Torah, there are laws that come around side of the commandments and flesh them out and say, this is what this command means. For this one specifically, there were 39 different uh, different ideas behind what it meant that you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. Now, there became an oral tradition of leadership and teaching from the spiritual leaders of the Israelite community that developed what was called in the, uh, the Mishnah. Uh, and what they did was they took the oral tradition commentary of the Mosaic law and they added to it. So they would say, this is kind of one commentary I read this week said, this is like building a fence around the Mosaic law. So people wouldn't even come close to breaking God's command. So in, in other words, it would be like you saying, hey, I bought milk this week. On the jug of milk, there's an expiration date, right? It's like September 27th. That's the expiration date. But just to make sure we don't come close to drinking the milk after the expiration date, I'm going to mark that out. And on, underneath it, I'm going to write September 23rd, right? That way we, get we don't even get close to breaking the actual law, right? Like this is the law. This is what we're going to do to not break the law. Here's the, the new law. The problem was is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they started treating their oral tradition as if it had the same emphasis as the actual command of God. And what takes place is that people become very, very set in legalism. And now what's supposed to bring freedom, honor the Sabbath day, keep it holy, focus on God, don't worry about work and outside things. Now all of a sudden for the people of Israel, because of the legalistic tendencies that we have, they now start walking on eggshells and looking over their shoulder all the time going, did I break a law? Did I do anything wrong? Was that work? Is anybody going to watch me? Did they see me pick up something that was too heavy? Did I walk too far? Did I do something that would be considered work on the Sabbath? And it just becomes a problem because now they're not enjoying the Sabbath and keeping it holy and honoring God. They're struggling in their own lives to go, I, I just, I'm constantly worried I'm doing something wrong. And so when Jesus comes along 
he starts getting in trouble with the Pharisees and the Sadducees because of the way that he approaches the Sabbath. And here's what I want us to do this morning. We're going to look at several passages of scripture here and take some time just to look at the life of Jesus and read through what was normal for him, what he did on the Sabbath. And so if you'll bear with me, we're going to read through several passages. We're going to look at every instance in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And as we're reading this, what I would encourage you to do is try to pick up through the stories as to what Jesus does and why the Pharisees and the religious leaders have a problem with it. So here's what I want you to do. This is going to be on the screen. You can follow along. You won't have time because I'm going to go through it quickly to flip through in your Bible. Uh, So even if you're like a Bible bowl champion or a Bible drill champion from your childhood, uh, you probably still won't be able to keep up. So let's just go through this watching on the screens with me. Matthew chapter four, verses 23 through 25. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across Jordan followed him. Matthew chapter 12, verses one through 14. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said, look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. And he answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priest on Sabbath duty in the temple, they desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had not known what these words mean, excuse me, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the innocent for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. And then going on from that place, he went into their synagogue It's still the Sabbath. Verse 10 says, And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and they plotted how they might kill Jesus. Mark chapter three, verses one through six. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Don't you just know that guy felt really good in that moment. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? but they remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Mark 6, one through six. Jesus left there and he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What, what are these miracles? Uh, what are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? 
aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Luke chapter four, verses 31 through 37. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath, he taught the people. And they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man before them and came out without injuring him. And all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are with authority and power. He gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Luke 13, 10 through 17. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered them, you hypocrites. Don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, shouldn't she be set free on the Sabbath day from what has bound her? And when he said this, all of his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you notice as you read through all of these accounts? What stands out to you? Here's what I find interesting. In every one of these situations, Jesus goes to worship and then he does what they consider work. He takes time on the Sabbath and he heals people. And the religious leaders will look at him and go, you can't do that, that's work, that breaks the law. That's not holy for the Lord's day. There's six days in the week that you can come and find healing. The Sabbath, you shouldn't do any of that. And Jesus gets angry over and over again with these guys. And it's a righteous anger. It's not like Jesus is sinning in his anger. He's literally looking at the religious leaders, the people who should care the most about God's people. And he calls them hypocrites. He says, guys, every one of you, if you had a sheep that fell into a pit, wouldn't you get it out on the Sabbath? so it doesn't die. Every one of you, don't you untie your donkey and your oxen on, in the mornings on the Sabbath and lead them to water so they can get something to drink and then take them back home? Let me ask you a question. Don't you think people are more important than your rules about the Sabbath? He actually asked the question, what's better to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? And so Jesus does what they consider work. Now, here's what I want you to hear from me. 
I don't want you to think that this is Jesus going, hey, you know what? The Sabbath isn't important. You should just go home and do whatever you want to. If you want to go and you know, be on email all day today and check your stuff and you want to work and go put in a good seven or eight hours this afternoon or heck, if you want to go home and mow your yard this afternoon, like that's just completely fine. I'm not trying to put rules and regulations around this stuff, but I think what Jesus is saying to us is this. It is still very important for us to rest but it's important for us to look at the world around us. And when we come here to be empowered by God and told how God wants to move in our lives to change the world, that we should be asking the question, what's good on the Sabbath, to do good by people or to do evil by people? Then Jesus frees us up in a lot of ways to do what's right. He says, you should have your eyes constantly open to the world around you. Pay attention. This is not a day for us to check off a box. Hey, I went to church this morning. Let's go have a big meal. I'm going to lay on the couch and I'm going to watch football all afternoon. And it's just a day for me to do nothing, baby. That is not the heart of Jesus. That's my heart. (laughs) Those are my plans for the day. Let's just be honest for a minute. Some good football on TV this afternoon. We haven't had sports in a while. I'm going to be hungry in the next few hours. We're going to go eat a big meal. I'm going to go home and I'm going to want to sit on the couch and do a lot of nothing this afternoon. And yet Jesus says, you know what? That's fine. Rest. Take a day. But don't just think of it as a day off. This is a day of. This is a day of receiving from God so that you can view his world through his eyes and with his lens for how he wants to bring his grace and his mercy through you to people in need in the world this week. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, certainly throughout the week, but we have to have a perspective that says we are here today to gain from God so that we can go out from this place and be on mission with him. That's his desire for us. It's right to do good on the Sabbath, to help people, to love and serve people. And so I want us to look at one more passage of scripture. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and it takes place in John chapter nine. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me for this one. John chapter nine, we're gonna look at a long passage, verses one through 38. So take a second to turn there if you'd like to. And here's what we're gonna find with Jesus. He's again gonna be in the synagogue on the Sabbath or around the synagogue on the Sabbath. And so here's what we see. John chapter nine, starting verse one. As he went along, he, Jesus, saw a blind man from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind? Because that was the perspective in their day and time. If you had a physical illness, a deformity, something like that, it had to be the result of either their sin or their parents' sin that they would have this. And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. I don't know why Jesus chose to do it that way, by the way. In other instances, he just talks to people and goes, hey, you should be able to see now. And they will. In this instant, he feels like spitting in the mud, wiping it on the guy's face and telling him to go wash in a pool. I don't know why Jesus does these things, but it's interesting to me. Verse seven, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went out, washed and came home seeing. 
His neighbors and those who had, not, uh, who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that it was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. And he said, I don't know. I was still blind when it happened. I, you know, I don't know. It's just a good answer. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Uh-oh, we're in trouble. Therefore, the Pharisees asked how he received his sight. Well, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Verse 19, is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. Look at verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Listen, the synagogue was the local gathering place of everything. It was like the community center. You went there for school. You went there for community events. You went there for church. The synagogue was everything to the Jewish people in their community. And the parents are so afraid of getting kicked out of the synagogue that they go, well, we don't want to really answer that question. Why don't you ask him? Like they literally put this on their son. Go, if anybody's going to get kicked out of the synagogue, it's going to be him, not us. Let's let him answer. He's of age. He'll, he'll answer your questions for you, right? So that's what's going on. Verse 23, verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. That's not what Jesus said. It's the Pharisees' thoughts. Verse 25, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've already told you, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Little knife in the gut there for them. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We follow the law. Verse 29, we know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, Jesus, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this they, the religious leaders, replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Now Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, 
I believe. And he worshiped him. Now, here's why I want to go through this story this morning. I wanted you to see how the progression of this man's faith journey unfolds when Jesus goes against the religious leader's idea of work on the Sabbath and says, the Sabbath is a day to do good, not evil. I'm going to be about my father's work no matter what day it is. When this man starts talking to the Pharisees and they start questioning and asking him, they say some different things. In verse 11, when he's talking to the Pharisees, he calls Jesus a man. Who was it that opened your eyes? Well, there was this man named Jesus. And he came and he spit and wiped it on my face and that was weird, but he did. And so it was this man, Jesus. And then later when you get to verse 17, he calls Jesus a prophet. Who is this man? I, I, he's a prophet. I, I don't know. I mean, he's not just a man. I guess he's a prophet. Then you move down to verse 30 through 33. He acknowledges that Jesus must be from God because we've never seen anything like this before. People don't have their eyes open who've been born blind. He has to be from God, right? And then by the time that he gets kicked out of the synagogue and Jesus comes around, and I just love on the outside of this whole thing that Jesus has been just watching stuff from a distance, like the whole thing's been unfolding. And Jesus is just kind of spying on the situation. <laughs> like I healed him when he couldn't see. He doesn't know who I am. I'm kind of watching what's going on. And now he's been through this trial of sorts about who Jesus is. And now the guy gets kicked out of the synagogue. And what does Jesus do? He walks up behind him and he starts talking to him. He goes, do you know who the son of man is? The guy goes, no. And he says, he's the one that you can now see. Isn't that cool? Hey, I wanted you to have a visual representation of the son of man. It's the guy talking to you right now. And then what's the next progression? The guy calls him Lord and he worships him. In the matter of a day, because Jesus did good on the Sabbath, this guy goes from being like, Jesus is a dude. He's a man. Well, he, maybe he's a prophet. He's probably from God. You know what? I'm just going to worship this guy because he is Lord. Like that's the progression. That's what we as Christians have the opportunity to help do in people's life. When we take what God gives us in corporate worship and we spin that around and say, now it's what I've gotten from God today. It's not a day off. It's a day of I've received from God. Now I want to be about the business of God in this world. I'm going to go out from here and I'm going to make a change. And I want to help people see the glory of God. That maybe through my actions, maybe through my faith, maybe through the way that I live out my belief in God, it'll help someone move from seeing God as just a guy. Jesus is just a guy. Maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's, maybe he's from God. You know what? I'm, I'm going to worship him because my life's been changed by him. This is the power that we have when we follow after Jesus in these ways. And so that's what I want to challenge us with this morning. Jesus didn't just merely view the Sabbath as a day to be lazy and to do nothing. He said the whole point of Sabbath rest is to point us back to God, to be reminded how holy he is, and then to engage with him as he empowers us to go out into the world and do his work. So the question all of us have to ask today is, when we go out from this place, will we have our eyes open to the needs of people around us? And what are we willing to do to show the love of God and to meet the needs of others. That's the purpose of Sabbath. It's a day to rest, to rest from all of our outside strivings and to refocus on God 
and to know that he's called us to be about his work, to go into the world and to show his love in everything that we do. And so this morning, I wanna just challenge us as we finish up to take a minute and be thinking and asking, as we've gathered here corporately to worship God today, what does God want you to do next? How do you leave this place with your eyes open to the needs of others around you? Maybe it's today, maybe it's later this week that you're gonna see a need from, from someone you know. Maybe you're gonna see a need of a stranger and you're just gonna say, you know what? Because God's empowered me, because God has encouraged me and when we drew close to him in corporate worship, now I wanna take time and I wanna give back to the world. And so we need to be looking for ways to follow after the heart of our Savior and embrace his call and his message in this world to bring his grace, mercy, and love to people who are hurting. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.